to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel 1. It's that time of year where, depending on how Saturday went, determines y'all's attitudes when you come in. (laughs) So, that's why I root for the teams. Not that I care, but I care about you. you Alright, Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. This is God's word. (laughs) Good, that's it. Okay, uh, we're going to spend some time in Daniel for three reasons. Um, First, because we're about to hit the end. Is that a Phoenix Suns jersey? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Sorry. Uh, We're about to hit Matthew 24 uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, and I knew once we got there, we'd be going back to Daniel over and over and over again, and I thought, well, if I want to teach it faithfully and us understand it better, let's go back to Daniel and just do it all now, and then uh, 24 will hopefully be easier. Second um, reason for Daniel, and I'm fully aware of uh, my myopic view of things, Um, I'm 31 and don't know much of anything Uh, as my wife could attest, but it just seems like to me that the world is on fire, okay? And again, it might have always been on fire, but to me, it just seems like if you follow what's happening here, um, Europe, the United States, or the Middle East, wherever, it just seems like some little kid soaked it all in gas, threw a match on it, and ran away, and there are no competent firefighters available, just like... Oh, is somebody going to take care of this? And it seems like nobody is. And so the message of Daniel over and over and over again as we start to work through it tells us not to be frightened at that. Okay? Tells us that uh, uh, the message is in Daniel. There's a bunch of messages in Daniel from God to Nebuchadnezzar, from God to Daniel, from God to a different king, uh, Belshazzar, from angels to Daniel, from Daniel to his kinsmen, all these different Messages that come out, the messages over and over and over and over is, don't worry about the kid that lit it with the match, okay? God is sovereign over history. Like, over and over and over, the theme in Daniel is God very big, man very small, it will be okay. Things things will be okay. God's well aware of giant trees and metallic statues and multi-headed, multi-horned beasts. He, he's on top of it, okay? He's not shook that the world is on fire. He's not shocked that... Um, the wicked are prospering or that the righteous are, are suffering. And, and Daniel teaches us that we shouldn't be shocked at these things either. Yeah. And we shouldn't be frightened at them. Why? Because we know God is sovereign over history. So just a, a taste. Daniel 2. A stone was cut out with hands and it struck this big statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about. And it says all these kingdoms were crushed all at the same time and they became like chaff. And the wind carried them away that not a trace of them was found. Just like that. Gone. Boom. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mound and it filled the whole earth. And so this is this right. Daniel 2 is the theme of all of Israel's. Prophetic and apocalyptic literature. God has made promises to Israel about the future of the world. Okay, like this is your this is your your Bible. Israel's disobedience, Israel's uh, rebellion, seems to put that future on pause. Like they're like, how long? How long? How long? How long? How long? 
And so God sends prophets to Israel, says, hey, repent. And then the prophets also reinforce that God has not forgotten his promise to bless and, and re-eden all the nations of the earth. And that regardless of how bad things look right now, God's appointed future will come to pass. Like this, there, there's your prophets, okay? If you haven't read your Old Testament, there it is. You've, you've got it, okay? And so, and, and so this is one of the main purposes of... Of, of prophecy, uh, the, the role of the prophets is to comfort those who are in affliction and comfort those who are in um, confusion. And I, I press this on you guys every Sunday and will until, you know, the Lord takes me or whatever, as long as I can. You have to have a vision of the future. Okay? You have to. Like, it, there's, there's nothing more important for your discipleship than a clear vision of what the future is like for Israel, for the nations, for the planet, for you. If you don't have a vision of God's future for all of that, you will give up in despair. Okay? This is just how the human heart works, all right? The, the, that tree is too tall. That, that statue, too big. That fire, too hot. Too many horns on that beast. Whatever. All these different things. If you don't have a vision for the future, you will give up. Okay? It's not some small thing to not think about the future. You have to think about the future to stay on the path. Especially if you're in a, a especially persecuted context like Daniel was and, and Israel has been in uh, for thousands of years. Okay? If you're living under a murderous tyrant, which that's the context of Daniel. Just different tyrants over and over and over. You need eschatology. You need the future to get you through those things. Okay, And this is why uh, historically persecuted believers, persecuted uh, countries and minorities, they're like specifically drawn to Daniel. Okay, Like that's who's drawn to Daniel. Weirdo prophecy people. Right? What is YouTube but weirdo prophets, right? Okay? Weirdo prophecy people and persecuted people. They're like, we got to have Daniel. We gotta have revelation. Like we, we gotta have Isaiah. So in the in the nineteen seventies, uh, missionaries went to the Lisu people in Thailand. They're, they're, they don't have the scriptures in their language at this time, and they show up and they're like, "All right, we're gonna start translating Genesis for you guys," which is a good good thing, right? I think I, if I could go back um, nine eight years this month, if I could go back eight years this month, we would have started at Genesis one one. I can't do that. Can't go back in time. And so they're translating Genesis for them, which is good. And the leaders of the Lisu people come to them. They say, hey, that's great. We're so excited that we're going to have scripture that, that we can read in our language. Can you pause Genesis and do Daniel for us? Because we're we're, our world's on fire. Okay, we're under persecution. Like we're, the, the, Things are not good for these people. Can you do Daniel? Like We have to have Daniel to get through the fire right now and to get through the lion's den right now and to get through the king of the north and all, you know, whatever else comes up. Okay, like They, they needed a, a apocalyptic prophecy to get them through. And so that's what Daniel is. Daniel spells glory for persecuted people. Like They read Daniel... And they trust in Israel's God, and they're like, we're, yeah, we're going to get through this thing, whatever it is. But negative, like on the other side of that, Daniel spells destruction for wicked rulers that would, that would perpetrate these kinds of things, okay? So Marxist countries, they forbid sermons on the second half of Daniel. You got, because they're state-controlled churches, they tell them what they can do and, and can't do, and they say, hey, yeah, yeah, you can do Daniel 1 through 6, put that on your felt board, that's fine, 
Don't do 7 through 12, okay? You can't do 7 through 12, not allowed. Why? Because it says that the wicked kings and wicked rulers are ultimately destroyed. The reason they can't do them is because they tell the future. And the future that these books tell undermines confidence in the power of human government. And especially human government that would promise a utopia if you will just do what the tyrant says. Daniel and Revelation are like, no, <laughs> that's not how human history plays out. So I just, that second, we, we need Daniel, the world Needs Daniel. We need to know and have confidence that Daniel 2, the statue does get turned to powder. Daniel 4, the tree gets chopped down. Daniel 7, the beast is destroyed and given over to the flames. We have to know that. And Daniel Daniel gives us that. And the third reason I wanted to do Daniel is it models for us how to live in Babylon. Okay, How to live in Persia, how to live in Greece, how to live in exile. So just some examples. Daniel 1, verse 8. Daniel determined he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Daniel 3, whoever does not fall down and worship this giant chocolate bunny, right, (laughs) Uh, will be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And then these men, Daniel and his friends, they've ignored you, the king, and they do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue You've set up Daniel six. Uh, they say, Daniel, you, you can only pray to Darius. But three times a day, Daniel got down on his knee, prays and gave thanks to his God, Yahweh, just as he had done before. So Daniel gives us, hey, here's the model, right? You're living in Babylon, Persia. All right. You know, here's the model. Here's how you live in these things. And I think this matters for us. We, we reside in a wicked nation led by wicked rulers. That doesn't mean every single person is wicked, nor every single ruler is wicked, but we live in a wicked nation led by wicked rulers. This is not the promised land, right? I thought uh, uh, you said Goshen, right? We're, we're in Egypt, y'all. Um, you're, well, Goshen's part of Egypt. So I would say there, there's a way um, that God calls us to live in places like this. There's a way God calls us to live in times like this, and Daniel and his friends model it for us. So I I think this will be important for um, our hearts moving forward. So Lord willing, when we're done with Daniel, uh, we we have a better grip to understand Jesus' statements in uh, 23, 24, 25. Second, we have an anchor in God's sovereignty in in troubled times. And third, we're clear on how we walk out our days in Babylon until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. All right, let's stand. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. Daniel 1 1. Cool? Daniel 1 1. In the third year of the reign of, of, and keep these kings in mind, of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him. The Lord handed him over to him. Who handed King Jehoiakim over? The Lord. Okay, so Daniel starts out on a bummer, right? If you just opened up your Bible randomly, like, oh, that's not good, okay? Because of her sin, because of her wicked kings and unjust rulers, the Lord hands Judah, Jerusalem, and the people of Israel over to Babylon, okay? So if you don't know anything about the Bible, uh, the, the God's people is Israel, Judah, bad guys is everyone else. Right? If you're new to the scripture, like this is the story. So the bad guys have laid siege to the good guys, and, and this is what's happening. And it's happening just like God said it would. God can tell the future. I didn't know if you knew this. 
It's a theme, okay? He can tell the future. So Jeremiah 25, before this happened, um, start in verse 4. The Lord sent all his servants and the prophets to you, Judah, time and time again, but you've not obeyed the prophets or even paid attention. He announced, turn, each of you, from your evil way. Turn from your evil deeds. Don't follow the other gods to serve them and bow down in worship to them. And do not anger me by the work of your hands. Jeremiah is telling this to them. Verse 7, but you have not obeyed me with the result that you have angered me by the work of your hands. And you have brought disaster on on yourselves. Verse 8, because you have not obeyed my words... I'm going to send all the families of the north, Nebuchadnezzar, and send for my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And I will bring them against this land, against its residents, and I will completely destroy them and make them an example of horror and scorn and ruins forever. And then I will eliminate the sound of joy and gladness from them, the voice of the groom and the bride. This whole land will become a desolate ruin, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So whatever your vision of a prophet is, right? Old guy, beard, this is it, right? Like, this is what's happening. And so in a theme that we're going to go through, Daniel's going to take a while. We go through it over and over and over. And as we watch world history um, play out, what's happening here in Daniel 1.1 is just simply another round of of the covenant cycle. Okay? Um, What we could call it between Yahweh and Israel, between him and his people. So we have this covenant at Sinai, right? So have you guys seen Prince of Egypt? Raise your hand if you've seen Prince of Egypt. If you haven't, your homework this weekend, Labor Day, okay? Take, take what, hour and a half, two hours, Monday, sit down, watch Prince of Egypt, watch it with captions so you can sing along, okay? They get, they get out, right? They, they, they come through the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness, cloud by day, fire by night, manna from the sky, water from the rock, all the stuff. They come to Sinai and God enters into a covenant relationship with Israel. It's a, it's a it's a marriage ceremony. And in this covenant at the mountain, God promised Israel, if you will remain obedient to the covenant, which doesn't mean you do everything perfectly, but when you re- when you when you fail, you repent and turn, that keeps covenant. But if you are obedient, you'll be blessed. You'll go into the land, livestock, milk, honey, the whole bit. But if you're disobedient, you're gonna bring all manner of chastisement, of discipline on yourselves. And why is it set up this way? Because God disciplines the ones that he loves, right? To bring them to maturity. The same reason you discipline your children. Not because you hate your children, but because you love your children and you want them to mature so that they can grow up and do the things they're called to do. This is the story of Israel. Okay? So Deuteronomy 4 is is the, the, the covenant. Now Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I'm teaching you to perform so that you may live in and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord is giving you. Good. However, you, Deuteronomy 4.26, you will sure, surely perish quickly from the land. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. Now he's prophesying. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. And there, among those other nations, you will serve not Yahweh, but you will serve other gods. Okay? So it's, it's just the cycle, okay? Step one, Israel breaks the covenant through a myriad of ways, generally idolatry, like that's kind of the big one. Like 
They can't not do it. Um, generally, injustice, right? They, they, the, the, the rich treat the poor a certain way. Like this, they, they take advantage of them. I know we have no idea what that's like, okay? But it happens. It actually happens. Um, and then uh, uh, 70 AD, kind of, the, they're not worshiping idols, then, but there's this baseless hatred, okay? And, and, and killing and shedding of, of innocent blood. So that's step one. They break the covenant. Second, God disciplines. Okay, the land is invaded. They are exiled from the land, which is where we find Daniel right now, right? He's in step four. You will go. Here comes Nebuchadnezzar. You will go to Babylon. And then the cycle, though, it, it, it's positive. They repent. They actually turn from their idols. And then six, the Lord restores them back to the land. That, like this is the cycle and it's played out in history. Okay, so first we have the Assyrian um, invasion, defeat and exile of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel in the eighth century B.C., this is history. This is just what happened. Uh, second, the, the Babylonian invasion, defeat, and exile of the southern kingdom of Judah at the beginning of the 6th century BC, which is Daniel right here. Like Daniel's writing as this stuff is happening. And then the third big one is the, the Roman occupation, invasion, and destruction of Jerusalem uh, in 70 AD, followed by multiple exiles until they're totally scattered um, by, by 136. There's no school Monday, so we'll do some here. Right, we'll do some history <laughs> um, here. So the, the point of that is that the word of the Lord, the covenant disciplines, just as he said would happen at Sinai, they come to pass. And they, they, you know, they, they sin, God, God disciplines, and, and they will continue, right? Like the covenant's forever. It's not going to change. And just as a side note, Christian theology has done a fantastic job emphasizing these first four steps. Right? Nobody loves Israel being punished for their disobedience more than the Christians. It's just like we can't get over it. But what we have forgotten is steps five and six, guys. You don't get four, you know, two thirds of the covenant. You do the whole thing. And so though Israel is in discipline now and being chastised now, they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he will come and they will repent and they will turn and they will be restored. And all the nations will be, you know. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I mean, the, the angel shows up to, the Gabriel shows up to Mary at Jesus' birth and says, yeah, he will save them from their sin. Like, this is, this is the story. Anyway, so back to Deuteronomy. After the Lord promises to punish, he, he gets to steps five and six. His declaration, I will redeem you. Though I've scattered you. I will gather you. Can a woman forget her child or have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they might forget, but I will not forget you. Right? This is Isaiah. Like, this is how it works. So Deuteronomy 32, the song of Moses, the Lord will indeed vindicate his people. He will have compassion on his servants when, do we have it up here? When, it, when will this happen? When he sees that their strength is gone. Daniel 12, 7, when the power of the holy people is shattered. When they've been brought so low, they can't turn to any idols, they can't turn to their own strength, then the Lord will have compassion on them. See now, verse 39, I alone am he, there is no God but me. I bring death and I give life. I wound and I heal. So Israel, you, you've tried all the other ways. And, you, and I, this is Israel's story, this is your story too, right? You, you do the same thing. You, you've tried all the other ways. You've, you've even tried your own strength, right? Bail didn't work out. Let me try and rely on myself to figure this out. But now when your power is shattered, your strength is gone. I will now, though I've wounded you in love, I'll heal you. Okay? 
Though I've killed, I'll bring life. When your power is shattered, when you've gone as low as you can go. So he continues, verse 43. Rejoice, you nations, concerning his people. (laughs) Rejoice, you nations, concerning his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his adversaries. And he will purify the land and the people. And then the cycle's complete. It's done. The cycle doesn't go on forever. Eventually, Israel will repent. Finally. Right? (laughs) So I just want to, just for, just for quick evangelism here, the same is true for you too. If you will have gone your own way your entire life, okay? Your entire life, you've gone your own way. You've tried to do your own thing, tried to follow after other gods. Probably you're your own God in this respect. If you will turn to the Lord, he will heal. If you will turn to the Lord in repentance, put your trust in his cross and nothing else for the forgiveness of your sins... He will actually forgive. If you put your your trust for eternal life and and resurrection from the dead and his resurrection, he will actually raise you from the dead. But your power has to be shattered first. Your strength has to be gone first. And the Lord promises he will come and he will heal. Okay, just like he will do for Israel, he will do for you. So if you have questions, what does it mean to trust in the cross and resurrection and, and follow Jesus? And you're sitting next to a member of our church, they can tell you. They can help you come to a home group tonight. We'll talk about it some more. But don't leave here today not trusting in Jesus, okay, for eternal life, to to live forever, okay? All right. So this is this. I have have to go through all that. We got to verse. I was opening up this week. All right, we can cover chapter one today, and we're not going to get out of verse one today. This is the backdrop, okay? Teenage Daniel, he's like 15 when this is happening, is going into exile. God's covenant disciplines are coming upon Israel because Judah's leaders have acted wickedly. That's why. This will be explicit in a second. They have not kept the statutes of the Lord and Jerusalem is invaded and its inhabitants are slaughtered or the lucky ones are exiled, depending on how you... Do that, okay? And this happens in the year of uh, the third year of Jehoiakim, but it didn't start with Jehoiakim. It starts with Manasseh, okay? We were talking in membership class this morning that elders aren't going to tell you what to name your kids, but don't name your kid Manasseh, okay? <laughs> Second Kings 21. So we're backing up in the story to see why they go into exile. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Verse 2, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He rebuilt the high places uh, that his father, Hezekiah, had destroyed. So you can name your kid Hezekiah, not Manasseh. Okay? Uh, and he reestablished the altars for Baal. So it's not like this is the first time they've done this. Like, no, let's try the Baal thing again. Okay? He made an Asherah uh, uh, as King Ahab of Israel had done. He also bowed and worshipped all the stars in the sky and, and served them. Again, we have no context for that in 2023. He built altars in the Lord's temple where the Lord had said, Jerusalem is where I will put my name. And you're putting altars here. Very bad. Verse 6, he sacrificed his son in the fire. He practiced witchcraft and divination and consulted mediums and spirits. He did a CSB is funny. He did a huge amount of evil in the Lord's sight, angering him. Verse 9, so Manasseh caused them. Verse 9, Manasseh caused the nation to stray. Right? Like the nation could be doing fine. Probably not, but they could have been doing fine. But the Lord says through the prophets, Manasseh caused them to stray. And this triggers the, the covenant curses. Okay, Verse 11, since King Manasseh of Judah has committed all these detestable acts, 
and has also caused Judah to sin, I am about to bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that everyone who hears about it will shudder. Verse 13, I will wipe Jerusalem clean. I will abandon the remnant of my inheritance and hand them over to their enemies. They will become plunder and spoil to their enemies. Why? Because they have done evil in my sight. Verse 16, Manasseh has also shed much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with it from one end to another. Okay, so he's obviously broken the terms of the covenant, right? So if you're familiar with the Bible at all, we kind of have big 10, right? Kind of big 10 ones. And you probably know some of them. One of them is no other gods. How did Manasseh do there? No other gods. Let's try all of them, right? (laughs) I got, you said one, let's get like 12 in here and, and see how that works. Thou shalt not murder, kind of a big one too. Under Manasseh, the streets of Jerusalem are, are filled with, with blood. Like the covenant clearly has been broken. And so to maintain the covenant, God must punish. But you, you read the story, you're like, hey, maybe there could be a reprieve. Like maybe we can get some relief from this. So after Manasseh dies, uh, comes Amon. And you're like, hey, maybe Amon. Uh, Amon is so wicked and so crooked. There's a conspiracy in his cabinet to kill him, kind of like the Caesars later. Like, so he's out, which made way for his son Josiah. Josiah was a good king, so you pregnant people, Josiah, that's right? You know, go with that one. Second Kings twenty-two. Josiah now, after Manasseh, after Amon, he did what was right in the Lord's sight. He walked in the ways of his ancestor David. And, you know, we know about all of David's shortcomings. Absolutely. But you cannot give someone a higher compliment among Israel than to put them on the same level as David. Like this is high, high praise. He did not turn to the right or the left. So so Josiah shows up and he starts paying the priests again. Right. Because they're that's what Israel is supposed to do. Uh, His crew finds the law again because they lost the law. At some point, and Josiah, like, they, like literally, like they, they go, they're looking through the temple, they find this book, they take it to Josiah, and Josiah's like, what's this? I don't know. Oh, it's Deuteronomy. And he starts to read it and says, we're not doing any of this. And they start to do it. They start to obey the Lord again under um, Josiah. He renews the covenant. He tears down the false idols that um, Manasseh had set up. Chapter 23, he reinstitutes Passover. Which is a good thing, you know, good. as often as you gather, right? He, he gets rid of all the witchcraft. Again, thumbs up for Josiah. Like, things are looking up for Judah. Like, Manasseh, oh, Amon, eh. Josiah, things are looking up. Verse 25, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and his soul, and with all his strength, according to the law, all the law of, of Moses. Because he's got it now. <laughs> he can set his heart to obey it. And no one like him arose after him. So you're looking at Josiah and you're like. I don't think that's mine. You're looking at Josiah and you're like, man, maybe he's the guy. So here's a funny thing about cell phones. When they first came out, it was those darn kids. Right? Kids' phones going off in public places. And, oh, those kids. The narrative has totally shifted. Kids are always on silent. Their phones, you know, do not just... I can't... I call Brody and it's straight to voicemail if it's noon, you know? It's the elderly in their phones that are an issue for this society. 
So things are looking up, but it gets worse. Verse 26, 2 Kings 23, in spite of all that, in spite of everything Josiah did, the Lord did not turn from the fury of his intense burning anger, which burned against Judah because all of the affronts with which Manasseh had angered him. It's very sobering. Right? You're reading Josiah's account. And you're like, man, maybe, maybe they're going to turn it around. Maybe, you know, maybe judgment will be stayed. But what Manasseh had done so angered the Lord, so infuriated the Lord that even Josiah's reign could not overturn it. And so after Josiah died, the next major king in Judah's story was Jehoiakim. The king that went into exile with Daniel. Jehoiakim, he, he comes to the throne and he immediately becomes the, uh, a puppet of uh, the Pharaoh at the time. Starts taxing Jerusalem citizens to, to fill the pockets of the Egyptians. He ignores and he burns the word of the Lord that comes through Jeremiah. So Jeremiah uh, shows up and he's prophesying to people. And they say, hey, shouldn't the king hear this stuff? And Jeremiah's like, if you want. So they take Jeremiah to the king and he starts to prophesy. And, and Jeremiah has a, a scribe with him who's writing down the words of the prophet, and as Jeremiah is saying these things, uh, Jehoiakim has them take the scroll that has the word of the Lord and throws that thing in the fire. Don't want to hear that. And this leads, Jeremiah's prophetic ministry leads to his eventual imprisonment and eventual death, right? What does Jesus say later? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and those sent to it. Jehoiakim is shedding the blood of the righteous. So Jehoiakim, 2 Kings 20 through 37, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. And for that reason, Daniel 1 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. Okay? So I know we didn't come for a history lesson today. I'm going to try to bring this home for us so we have some application here. I just want to press that we have a corporate responsibility to each other. Okay? Like this is really what, what's happening here. As individuals, we want to give ourselves to living before God and walking in His ways and staying on the path for our own sake, Right? I'm trying to stay loyal to Jesus so I finish the race. Just for me. Okay? Just for me. Like, I need to inherit eternal life. But what I want us to see in this opening section is that we want to live in obedience to God for the sake of the whole here. Okay? We're responsible to each other, especially those uh, in leadership. The sin of Israel's leaders caused the innocent in their midst to suffer. Like, this is what happened. This is, this is the story, right? Manasseh, Amon, Jehoiakim, they did the sinning, right? Not Jeremiah, not Daniel, not, not the women and children who were starved or, or slaughtered in the street. They did the sinning, or they didn't do the sinning, yet judgment still came on the whole, and the innocent suffered for it. It's a very, like, like your own discipleship absolutely matters for you, but it absolutely matters for the sake of the whole. It absolutely matters for the body. There, there are consequences for faithless kings 
and they are severe. Like that's the bad news. That's the, the you read this story and you feel icky. You should like this is what has happened. But there are also consequences for faithful kings and they're wonderful. So I want to close just by reading about um, the faithful king. Moses taught in the law that, that Josiah found. Like I, I really believe Josiah turned to Deuteronomy 17 and was like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. Moses taught what Israel's king should do. And B. So, Deuteronomy 17. And Robert, if you would come help us whenever you're taking your beautifully handwritten notes. <laughs> when you enter the land, your Lord God is, is giving you a point to king. When he is seated on his royal throne, he's to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll. It's to remain with him. And he is to read from it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. To observe all the words of this instruction and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or the left. And he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. So this is Deuteronomy 17. But this reminds me of who shows up. uh, What, year three? Year zero? (laughs) Right, this describes Israel's king, Jesus of of Nazareth, right? The tribe of Judah. Okay, he walks in perfect step with the word as, as he himself is the word. His heart is not exalted above his countrymen, right? If we know anything about Jesus is that he chooses not to exalt himself above others, but to go low and wash defeat and to be the servant of all, give his life as a ransom for many. And he will lead them into the promised land. This king will not lead them into exile like Israel's previous kings had. And so if this is our master as well, right, as as Gentiles putting their hope in the God of Israel and in the covenants to Israel, if this is our master as well, we ought to imitate him. We ought to read Deuteronomy 17, read the life of Jesus and set our hearts to say, I'm going to follow after him, especially as it concerns those under us. Right? That, like this is the issue with Israel's kings. Is they, they just live for themselves. Their own life. Their own glory. Their, all this stuff. And the innocent suffer for it. So whether you are a CEO. Uh, a construction manager. A custodian. An elder. A school teacher. A parent. Caden. Um, your football team. Whoever. Whoever you are, walk in the fear of God, meditate on his word, and then serve those in, in your charge. Okay? That's Daniel 1.1. This is where we're going. Israel's faithless kings have brought about exile, but we know Israel's faithful king will bring about restoration. we got to figure out how to live in the meantime. Let's pray.